we are. We're going to go through certain scripture today, and I'm going to teach you something about the Word of God that I know some of you already know, but I'm hoping to encourage all of us to do deep and honest reflection in the mirror image of Jesus Christ and whatever we see missing in our own lives, in our true identity, that we lay it down, say, Lord, forgive me. I'm still not dead in this area. Raise me up with you so that I can stand on my baptism, alive with you, dead to self. I'm going to make a few statements that we've made about orphans. As orphans, life from the perception of being an orphan is restless. It costs you everything. It's dependent on what you can do. Add religion to that, and you can keep yourself busy with what people call church life. You can be very busy. Satan never throws water on a burning Christian. Always throws petrol. He will burn you out because you will become a human doing and not a human being, as God intended it to be. As sons, life as a son is full of rest, feeling powerful and being powerful. It's dependent on God and His might. It's fearless, it's full of awe and wonder of how good He is and His willingness to flow through us. That is who God is. Symptoms of an orphan. Slave, powerless, a lack of trust, dark, in need, feed on problems, fear, doubt, and unbelief. The symptoms of a son is free and powerful, overcomers, trust, light, restless, heirs, faith, hope, love. That's the identity that Jesus died for. So before we go in, over the scripture that I'm going to read, you're going to go, we need the context of what you are saying. Life is happening to each and every one of us at the moment. We have a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. There are two forces at play. The one is the absolute truth. The way, the truth, and the life. And the other one is the father of lies. That's what's happening at the moment. Has something changed? No. No, is this a specific time for church that Jesus is busy with? Because in the timeline of eternity, he is calling something out into the streets of George. And so God is, as he has always been, only busy with his own plan. God is not counter Satan's plan. Sometimes when we pray, we pray, asking God to be against Satan. And then God speaks to us in the mirror image and says, what's troubling you? I'm just scared, Lord. Are you not seeing what he's doing? Are you not hearing what they are saying? Are you not? He's like, do you trust that I am who I am? Have you not heard that I have had a plan that starts at the beginning and I told you the end from the beginning? And then I told you the beginning from the end. I am that I am. And my plan will succeed. It will. There's no other option. So we live the plan that has already been won. And now the decoys become our flesh. So our greatest enemy is our flesh. Our greatest enemy is not Satan. He's been defeated. 
But his mouth is still not crushed. His head is still not crushed. So he speaks. And who is he? The father of lies. So when you listen to him, what do you listen to? Lies. But he knows our flesh. He knows the soul dimension. And so now in the atmosphere of George, there's a lot of witchcraft happening. Because there's a lot of activity. And God is saying to his church, will you trust me? One of two things today is going to happen. Some of you are going to go, hmm, I'm wondering what he's speaking about. I want to know more. Can I just call you a fool now? Because you've not listened so far. Don't be a fool. Don't worry, we don't know who you are. But don't be a fool. But if that's you, don't be a fool. I'm saying this with the spiritual authority of the Holy Spirit representing the King of Kings. He is saying to His church, not me, Pierre, don't. Don't be like that. Become like me. I'm calling you higher. Don't be like that. Be like me. To grow from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. We're going to read a story. I have to give you the context to the story. Because the story is about the Farka. The pigs. The story is all about the pigs. But you have to gain the context of where the story now started. And we have Matthew in Matthew 28, starting the story, he gives us context. Do you know how incredible it is to have the luxury of hindsight? We read this story and we go, what's that all about? All the bacon died. What the heck? But there's a story. The story we already have in the fullness. We call it systematic theology, Genesis 1 through to Revelation. Everything in his context has happened. And we are living that story as the bride. Because he has already told us what is going to happen. Because in him I am, it has happened. And that is, foot of the bride, head of the enemy, crushed done eternity all of what we are going through here is about preparing us for there all of scripture is saying to us don't look at this trouble as if oh it's too big there the glory will not even compare to this and then we have great writers as apostles as great disciples, as those being used by the Holy Spirit to capture the story for us in the book called the Bible, 66 books compiled over thousands of years, telling us this great mystery that's been revealed about Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ is now on the scene. The mystery is starting to be revealed so that the plan that he is busy with will come to light. The plan was Christ in you, the hope of glory.
the mystery revealed. Colossians. The mystery revealed. Christ in you. For what? The plan. So that through the church, He can show His manifold wisdom to all the spiritual powers in heavenly places. This plan that He completed in Christ. Therefore, everyone who believes in Christ can come boldly and confidently into the throne room of God. From where we call down as it is in heaven, so it be on earth. For I am dead and you are alive. That's the plan. So we read in Matthew 20, uh, not 28, Matthew 8. Matthew 8 verse 14 to 34. This is going to be over a few pages. But the story now starts, if you have seen the chosen, you have seen the scene. With Jesus being with Peter, and you have sort of a, an idea of how this moment was, because his mother-in-law is sick. And, and, and he doesn't want to bug Jesus with his mother-in-law being sick. Not that he had anything against her. <laughs> it, it's not one of those silly jokes. This is, this is Peter and his wife looking at her mother, and he doesn't want to bug Jesus. But when Jesus went into Peter's house in Capernaum, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and served him. When, every, when evening came, they brought to him many who were under the power of demons, and he cast out the evil spirits with word, and destroyed, and restored, sorry, to health, all who were sick, exhibiting his authority as Messiah. So this is telling us. He is now busy showing us this is coming. This is the, uh, this is the amount of power and the amount of authority I have. You're hearing it here. Jesus is building a story here. He is busy saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. I have not yet died, but I'm starting to show you this power that I have over demons and over sickness, he's busy showing us something. We know this because of systematic theology. We have the book. We have the luxury of hindsight. We can read it all and fit all the pieces together. And there's nothing that he will do here that does not prove the exact gospel that he then lived out and is still doing today. That's how we are viewing this. We're not just reading this as a chapter. We're reading this as the whole. So that he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah 700 years in advance. He himself took our infirmities upon himself and carried away our diseases. We continue because now discipleship is tested. Now, so the story continues. You, you get the, the scene. Jesus is starting to show his power. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to cast off for the other side um, of the Sea of Galilee. Then, on his way to board the boat, a scribe, who was a respected and, and authoritative interpreter of the law, came and said to him, Master, I will accompany you as your student wherever you go. And Jesus replied to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me 
first go and bury my father. Collect my inheritance. Now, there's a context to this because if you read the fuller story, we're not 100% sure whether his father already died or whether his father was sick. So when you look at this theologically, systematically, when how this was written in the Jewish tradition, it was as if he's saying, there's a lot still to happen and there's a lot to sort out. Can I go? Can I be with him as he goes and then sort out the family matters and then come? So it seemed like there was an amount of time needed for him. Now, it stops there. But Jesus said to him, follow me, believing in me as master and teacher, and allow the spiritual dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was going up, being covered by the waves. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to die. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the seas, and there was at once a great and wonderful calm, a perfect peacefulness. The men wondered in amazement, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Now we have... Even this as another setting. So Jesus has now started with the mother, casted out demons, healed the sick. He has spoken about what's important in life. There's spirit life and there's... Now, listen, it was his father. So it was real. So this comes into, hey, what do you choose? What is really important to you in life? What is really important to you? What do you choose? Do you see the story grow? And so here he now speaks to the wind and to the seas, to the waves. And it goes, I go, who is this? And then we continue. Jesus casts out demons. When he arrived on the other side of the country of the um, Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, met him. They were so extremely fierce and violent that no one could pass by that way. Now this tells a story of the amount of evil, which we will see again later on in the story. And they screamed out, what business do you have in common with each other, son of God? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time of judgment? We continue with verse 30. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were gazing. The demons began begging him, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out of the men and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and died in the water. The herdsmen ran away. And went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the men under the power of demons. And the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And as soon as they saw him, they begged him to leave that region. Now we're going to go through seven points. 
of things that we can see from the story. We have given ourselves context. We look at this with systematic theology. We see from Genesis 1, we know the mystery is going to be revealed. We know exactly who Jesus is going to be in the future, reading the Old Testament. He's coming. The mystery is being revealed. And then the plan that he wants us to get. Point number one, the demons knew who Jesus was. When they called out, what do you have for us, son of God? They called his name. They knew exactly who the Messiah was. So the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. That's point number one. Are you still with me? Are you ready for seven points? That was point number one. Okay. That's to everyone who listens to all of my sermons and go, we so wish you had points. Point number two, they knew that he had absolute authority over them. He could choose to cast them out and, he, and to decide where they should go. They knew that. You can see that in the story. So they knew he was the Messiah and they knew the amount of authority that he had, that he could choose whether they come out and where they would go. Point number three. They knew that in the future, they are heading for final torment. And they wondered if this was the moment of that final torment. Why have you come before the time? We know the torment is coming. We know that time is going to come where all of us are going to be judged into final condemnation and hell. This is prior to the time. What have you come to do? Point number three that we see from this. This is all spiritual. Point number four. The pigs in the area shows that we are in Gentile territory. Jesus is pointing towards the gospel being for all. If you go into Deuteronomy 14 verse 8, the Israelites did not eat bacon. Therefore, they did not farm with pigs. So we are in a Gentile region. Jesus is stepping out into a Gentile region. He is showing us the spiritual authority of the what is to come. He's putting this on full display for his disciples, starting in the house of Peter. And he is journeying this through. He's already calmed the seed. He's already casted out demons. He's already... Healed the sick. But here are two so vile that in this moment here, point number five, the number of pigs are not mentioned in Matthew. But if we continue to mark five, it is mentioned as 2,000. 2,000 pigs. So it's not mentioned. It's just saying a large number of pigs. And it's mentioned in Mark as 2,000. Yet it was no problem for Jesus. That was the size of this demonic force. This was the size of that demonic force. That when he cast them out of two people, they were so fierce that no one could walk that way. To him, it was no problem. He just said, go. Go. Point number six. The demons pleaded to go into the pigs, showing that habitation was their ultimate desire. They did not want to roam loosely. So the demons are showing us something about themselves. 
that habitation is the ultimate because they hate roaming around without habitation. Because their total, absolute evil desire is to destroy whatever it inhabits. It inhabits. That's what we see here. And then, point number seven. The demons could not have seen that their new habitation would run down the hill into the sea. It seems like Jesus would have known that this was going to happen. And that it says something about the judgment that he actually spoke out over those demons. Because they died in the sea. And then... They were in those pigs. So actually, he judged them in accordance to their greatest fear right in the beginning. Jesus understood something about the spiritual here. Now we continue with the story because now it comes to our choice. Is there more to this? Point number one. Two demon-possessed men that was possessed so greatly that 2,000 pigs just died that were inhabited. They were set free. And point number two. Large groups of pig dried, which means the region's possessions were taken away. What was their reaction in the region? Verse 34. And the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And as soon as they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. It was obvious that their possession and what they owned was more important than two people being set free. The Gentile region showed they did not want it. And this is what Jesus is sending us into. I'm sending you into this world as lambs amongst wolves. And they might not want it. If you become like me, I'm warning you. They will beg you to go. No matter what good you do. You have just set two people free. Bacon died in the process. And you're asked to leave. So possession and instant gratification of this life is more important than spiritual eternal life. Is a lesson to be learned, but what lesson is that that we are to learn? I want us to consider our reaction. If we consider our reaction, I'm going to read you what really matters in life. And I'm going to tell you the story of how this was from the beginning. I'm going to read you from the book that is every Christian's book, the book of Job. I'm going to tell you. Job 1, verse 6 to 12, we're going to read together. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And the Lord and Satan, the adversary or the accuser, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Then Satan answered the Lord, From roaming around the earth and from walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered and reflected on my servant Job? For there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God with reverence and abstains from and turns away from evil because he honors God. Then Satan answered the Lord, 
Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and conferred prosperity and happiness upon him and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch or destroy all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold all that Job has in your power. Only not put your hand on himself. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. We put this into the context of what God has told us about our faith, about our character, about how he builds our character. And we bring that favorite scripture of ours in called James 1. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let your endurance grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character, ready for anything. Thank you, Emma. So consider your reaction. What really matters in life? Jesus uses slash allows Satan to guide slash force a decision. The pigs got killed. Demons did it. The people chose possession rather than life. Prosperity over love, wealth over life, resource over someone's being set free, provision over divine power. What is our choice? When he says, I want you to lose everything. He said, I became poor so that you don't have to be poor. We're not going to go into prosperity teaching. What we're going to continue to teach is that he asked for everything. And in this everything, God wants us to enjoy his creation and life. But trouble will come. Some of you have tasted trouble. Come so close to you. Satan wants to say, just curse God. Some of you lost. Lost possessions. Lost even life recently. to choose. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are who you said you are. We value you and we appreciate you because you know the eternal plan that you have and all life is in your hands. Examples of an orphan against a son. An orphan begs God to change the life they live in. A son asks God to show up in power as they move to change the life they live in. An orphan wants God to bring heaven to earth. A son acts as if God picked him or her to bring heaven to earth. An orphan wants God to show up because they worshipped. A son knows God is showing up because they are worshipping. An orphan wants to find rest and is always looking forward to everything finally being done so he or she can rest. 
A son knows rest is what we live from. A complete trust in Father, Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Luke 20, verse 36 says this, For they cannot even die anymore, because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Revelation 2, verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 21, verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Two more verses. Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, because you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave or an orphan, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And finally, in completion, to land this. Romans 8 verse 14 to 17 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified. We have a beautiful week of reflection. Nonsense is going to continue as nonsense. Non-sense. If you try to make sense of nonsense, you are a fool. Because that is fleshly nature. And then the king, Jesus Christ, said, Do you believe? That I am who I said I am. I have given you the helper. I have given you the counselor. I have given you the teacher. I have given you my spirit. Be like me. Grow into me. And say no to everything that the enemy wants to hinder you with in nonsense.